0: Uh, well, for those who are joining us today, um, good morning to you. Um, my name is Shaq. Yes, that is my real name. Real name is Shaquille. Uh, but welcome today. I'm one of the pastors here at Garden City, and we uh, welcome you with open arms. Uh, we can't do it with COVID, but we give you a pound instead. Uh, but yes, this week sermon, we close our series in Exodus. Aw, a little bit of mix. Like, oh yes, it's finally over. Uh, So in the first part of the book, we focus on God leading Israel out of Israel, leading Israel out of oppression and slavery. Then the second half of the book, we witness God lead Israel, to redeem Israel, to himself. It is almost hard to believe that it's over so soon. I have loved every chance to walk through this foundational book together. Um, and I hope that you have been able to see how Exodus sets up the broader storyline of redemption that we see carried out through the rest of scripture. But if you guys can welcome uh, the Lord in this time with prayer, uh, we'll start our time with that and then we'll kind of move on. God, this week we have seen your work and your power through the weather. One day it's raining, one day it's 70 degrees, and today it's cold with snow. Lord, in the same manner, would you show us your power through your word? Would you open up our hearts to receive and chew, digest your scripture? Lord, would you speak through me and enable me to carry your word forward? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So our closing study together will focus on Exodus 40, verse 34 to 38. If you have your Bibles, um, please feel free to follow along. I'll be reading from NLT. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look to either the screen from my left, your right, and the other side. The author begins by saying this. Then the cloud cover the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, wherever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. This passage is briefer than any other scriptures that we looked at before. It's so slight and subtle that it's easy to miss. Therefore, it deserves to be treated separately from other stories in Exodus. As Moses finished his work on the tabernacle, the people watched to see what would happen. They watched to see what God would do. And they did not have to wait long. The last curtain tied up the last fence posts, and the prophet Moses stepped away. Then there, behold, was an epiphany, a majestic disclosure of the Lord's presence. In verse 34, the author tells us, then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Apparently, God was pleased with the obedience of Israel. This was not so much to show his dominions over them. He already had dominions over them, over the world and over the heavens and the depths below. But it was more so because it proved that they did believe him, that they did love him, that they did obey him. Now, what's interesting about this experience is this. The people have seen the glory of God before, They've seen it in the pillar of cloud and fire that protected them from Pharaoh's army and guided them through the wilderness. They have seen it in the miracle of the Red Sea, when God was glorified in the deliverance of Israel and the destruction of Egypt. They have seen the glory in the fire and smoke of the distant heights of Mount Sinai. Moses has seen the glory too. Well, at least the back of it, when he met God on the mountain. But neither Moses nor the Israelites have seen the glory come down in its radiant splendor as it did when it hovered the tabernacle and filled that sacred space with glory. As I was reading this, I just love the poetic language of when the glory of the Lord covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle this has been a near constant reminder to Israel that the God of Exodus is at the same time both holy and present with his people but when the glory came down from the mountain access was Denied. You ever have your card? I had one of those moments when I had my credit card and put it in there and it says your card ain't working. This is one of those moments access was denied. Even Moses couldn't get inside. The Bible tells us Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud has settled down over it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, when I was reading this, you're probably wondering the same thing when I read this. Why couldn't Moses enter the tabernacle? In the early chapters of Exodus, Moses seems to be very close with God. Face-to-face interaction with God. Being on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights with God. But what changed Now. What's different? The fact that Moses is kept away is not the result of residue wrath after the golden calf incident. Or to highlight Moses' inadequacies. The reason Moses cannot enter in that space is because the tabernacle was now Yahweh's house and no one else's. I'm gonna say that again. The tabernacle was now Yahweh's house and no one else's. It was no longer appropriate now for Moses to enter the tabernacle, even though he has been through it, as is building supervisor. Here's a good illustration. Let's say I have millions of dollars. Not pretty good for pastors to have a million dollars, by the way, but Let's say I build you a dream home. How many of you guys want a dream home? Raise your hand. It's okay. I want a dream home. I designed it. I crafted it. All the arts and details of your choice. I have the freedom to enter into your house to do some interior work, exterior work. I need some exterior work on my house right now, by the way, and I can come in any I want and I show you the house and say, yo, this is yours. All we have to do is sign the legal paperwork and you have total rights to that property. Once the house is sold to the occupying owner, which is you, I cannot retain a key and willfully enter your house at any time I want to. Those privileges have now changed. Yet when you enter your home, the new home is exclusively yours. You can invite me over, I, you can invite me in your home, but the house does not belong to me, it belongs to you. So what God is essentially saying, thank you, Mo. Appreciate what you built here, man. I, I like the candles. <laughs> this this, this Ark is really decked out, man. Uh, man, this is really good, but step aside. This is my crib, this is my home. This same phenomenon that occurred with the temple in First Kings, when Solomon built this temple for the Lord and the Ark of Covenant was coming back to the house of God, it says this, when the priest came out of the holy place, a thick cloud, Filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not contain their service service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled. Here's that word again, the temple of the Lord. Too often, I'm get real right here. Hopefully, you respond to some conviction. Too often. We come into God's home thinking and believing it belongs to us, right? This pendulum of self-centeredness can swing from one side to the other. On one side, we, the leaders in the church, can become religious realtors who fantasize and romanticize and oversize the church to attract and please people. What we are doing is essentially selling and marketing Jesus as a brand. Doesn't that hurt your heart? Doesn't that grieve you? But on the other side, we, the members, Oh, I'm talking about the members. Can be fixed into that toxic narrative of self-centeredness all day long. That's not figuratively speaking. All day long, we make complaints about the style of music, the pastor's message, the quantity and quality of children and youth activities parking, the taste of the coffee, we laughing, but we do it, we wear masks or not wear masks, and at times, at times, not all the time, at times, those complaints are legitimate, don't get me wrong, I make complaints all the time, but the house does not belong to you. The house does not belong to me. In God's good grace, in God's good love, he invites you into his home. He welcomes you into his home, but the home does not belong to you. Are you convicted? Shake your head. Oh, well, maybe I am. When I was writing this, I'm like, dang, this is really good. <laughs> Again, Satan doesn't want, Satan doesn't say worship me. Rather, Satan says worship yourself. If we are not careful... Our perfectly manicured Sunday gatherings can be so man-made and so manufactured that we lose sight of the power and presence of God. We lose sight of whose house it is. You know what the crazy point is? We can become satisfied with it. That's the scary part. We know it's an issue, but we become satisfied with it. There is this safety in our fleshly confidence to create something. And for people, that's enough. Long as we play it safe and use our human wisdom and eloquence and use our gifting of singing and all the things that we can do, long as I'm happy and you're happy, then that's enough. See, without the glory, it is just a fancy tent. Without God's covering and filling of the tabernacle, it's just a DIY project. Without the glory filling this gym, this is just another location to play organized basketball. So God can use the same language to you and I, big church and Garden City. Thank you, Dennis, for building this church. I, I appreciate you, Dennis. You, you, you made this lampstand for me over here. This is really great. Thank you. Thank you, Kenny. You, you, you really sang your heart out today. That, I, I really appreciate you and making this space for me. Thank you, Shaq, for, you know, Proclaiming my truth, thank you volunteers for coming and making this space for me, building this space for me. Thank you so much. But step aside, step aside. This is my home. If you have made this space for me, then let it be for me. We will say that again. If you have made this space for me, then let it be for me. We stand in the door of the house we built for God and ask him, what's the password? You, You can't come in. Say, what's the magic word? It's like, no, we're the builders, but the house does not belong to us. In Exodus 40, verse 36 to 38, prepares us for what will become a dominant element in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, in a relentless push towards the land of Canaan. The author says, now when the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel was set out on their journey following it but, when, but if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the land, the, the, the cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day. And at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. The purpose of the closing verses in Exodus is to explain this, how this will happen. When God moves, the people move. When he says, so do they. This is the beautiful evidence that God did answer Moses' prayer in Exodus 33, verse 14. It says this. The Lord says this. I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. When I was reading that, I kind of felt this feeling that if someone needs to hear that today, instead of saying, Moses, place your name in there, I will go with you. And I will give you rest. And everything will be fine for you. Doesn't that just wash all the anxieties away from us when we hear that from the Lord? See, God's presence was with Israel despite the golden calf tragedy. And I just love verse 38. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day. And at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so that the whole family of Israel could see it. Not only so they can see it, but this continued throughout all their journeys. Now, this book of Exodus, what starts off as a story of misery and oppression, the people of God in misery and oppression, ends on this glorious note. Israel is assured that night and day, that the God of the universe is hovering around her to protect her, to guide her, to defend her, to aid her, and to control her future. That is good. I want to take a moment for that, to let that sink in. That the God of the universe hovered over them to protect her, to guide her, to defend her, to aid her, and to control her future. That's a good word, man. The fulfillment of this beautiful promise can be found in Exodus 29, verse 45. When the Lord says this, Then... I will be and live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. Oh, it is so good when the Lord lived among us. So good. So the theology of the presence of God has become the fact of his presence. It was no longer this intellectual thing, but it was real, it was a fact, it was close, it was near, they saw it, and it followed them throughout all their journey. Friends, this is the truth of our stories, that God leads us out of slavery and oppression An end to himself. Are you guys not redeemed? Very quiet today. I see why Kenny was getting y'all hyped. I don't know if it's the snow. I don't know if it's cold out. I don't know what it is. Like if If I know this good truth about being redeemed, my whole life will look different. So what do the closing verses of Exodus have to say to us? And I'm gonna get really honest. I hope that you can be honest with me. For many of us, this story may feel fictional and distant because our current realities have been severely damaged by trauma, shame, misery, Anxiety, fear, pain, and even unacknowledged pain. Collapsing our imaginations to see and know what God has for us. And blinding us to the possibilities that beauty can ever emerge from our ashes. For you, for some of you, this hope and this closing verses may be warped. It limps and creaks at the foundation. Maybe you're too exhausted to hope again. Or suspicious of it because it calls something out of you. If the memories of your trauma or current situation is resting a little heavier on you today, you are not Alone. I don't know why I'm feeling emotional right now, but you are not alone, you are still here. So if it's feeling of on you today, it is okay. In the world that doesn't always see you, you are not hidden from him. And the world does not always see you. You are not hidden from him. Some of you are in a season of spiritual drought. Where everything that you have learned and known about this about the faith is now associated with pain. You try to depend on your spiritual disciplines and your rhythms, but it's just not the same anymore. It now has become a struggle. It now has become monotonous, boring. See, it is so easy to be wrestling and nobody knows. It's not like you're trying to hide it from people, but you just don't know how to describe what you're in. And as the pastor sitting up there giving you this word, I am in that space too. You can't make sense of it. It feels like a dark, lonely, disorienting place to be in. In addition to that season, hearing the questions of where are you spiritually how's your relationship with god have you prayed long enough did you read your bible in a year yet can be wrapped and infused with anxiety and intim- and can be wrapped and infused with anxiety and intimidation because you feel the pressure to give the right mountaintop response I'm there too. We often think a mature Christian is someone who wakes up, drinks their coffee, has devotional time with the Lord, you know, read eight chapters today. I read the whole book of Exodus. I read the whole book of Ezekiel today. I feel good. Don't get me wrong. Those things are good and we should get there. But not everybody is there. There are seasons where we are tired, spiritually tired, and spiritually uh, exhausted. So for those who are in a spiritual drought right now, Everything's going to be okay, even if it doesn't feel like it. And you haven't lost your faith, and not less loved, still worthy of love and to be acknowledged. Or maybe you so, or maybe you're someone who feels that God has left you back in Egypt, or you've been waiting for Him to part the Red Sea, or He's still on a mountaintop with someone else and not you. Doing great activities elsewhere, but not in your life. You feel like God is hiding, ignoring you, silent, retreating, and pretending to be one thing while being another. God, where are you? I want those experiences when I first met you, but right now it feels like you are vacationing somewhere else. For you, it may seem easier to believe in the absence of God than the presence of God. That all can be discouraging. So I want to hold space for whatever journey you are on. See, our lives may still feel like we're in bondage and that God is not near. But my friend, you are redeemed. You belong to the story of freedom. You guys believe that? You belong to the story of freedom? See, God can see all your pain, your present pain, your future pain, your present pain. Your hurt is worthy to be witnessed. Your drought is worthy to be voiced. And because of that, our stories and our journeys are not abandoned. Hope still tells the truth. Redemption still tells the truth. God still tells the truth. The truth-telling hope of our redemptive stories is this. On this journey, we follow our holy redeemer as he guides us to the promised land. Admittedly, there's no cloud overhead, as much as I like it to be, but we have something greater. We have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. He becomes one of us. He goes into dark places to save us. He righteously stands up against spiritual and earthly powers that seek to harm and destroy us. He is the one who is awesome in power. He is our Passover. He is our song of deliverance. He is our shepherd who leads and guides us through and in the wilderness. He is our lawmaker, our lawgiver. He is our tabernacle and every piece in the tabernacle. He is our atonement. He is our final mediator of the covenant who enters the most holy place to intercede for us. He is better than Moses. He will bring us to the goal of our salvation just as surely as the cloud guided the Israelites to their ultimate destination. We... As a church will reach a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm gonna say that again. We gotta believe that. We will reach a city one day whose builder and maker is God. God of the Exodus is still liberating, He is still guiding still present with his people wherever they go. This is the God who ends on a glorious note. This is the God that, who ends on a glorious note. So as you go this week and look over all the story, all the, all the mess, the goodness, and the ugliness of your story, it will come to glory. Glory. As messy as we are, as sinful as we are, as broken as we are, there is still goodness woven into our bodies, woven into our stories. So let us pray this day. God, it is very easy to pick up our things and go with the next thing. It is so easy to pick the chairs up and rack them up and move on to the next thing. It's so easy to pick up our children and say, let's go, we gotta get lunch and forget anything about you. Father, would you remind us that our stories are written with freedom our stories are woven into the palm of your hand. God, as we look at our neighbor today, may we encourage them to press on, to press forward to you, to cling to you, to love you to have faith, to have questions, to have doubts. All of the above, Lord, you are strong enough to take all of it. So thank you, God, for speaking to us today that hope still tells the truth. Redemption still tells the truth. And God, you still tell the truth. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen.